Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your mercies. We're grateful for the life we have in your Son. We'd ask that we would stop to understand it better, that we might please you more. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I was thinking, I was in a conversation last night with a friend about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's one of those phrases that has all sorts of um, usages in the different denominations of Christendom. We talked about it for an hour or two, and, uh, uh, but some passages came up and came to mind while we were talking. And so I, I said to myself, That's, I'm going to revisit that tomorrow morning. And what I, what I came down with, besides the cold, um, is how closely aligned the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to the concept of being born again. I'm not here to prove that to you. You know, it's easy to walk through the scriptures uh, on that. But we, as conservative, Protestant, evangelicals, have heard the phrase, ye must be born again. And maybe you don't want to use it because it's not the trendy phrase of finding community in a missional incarnational body, which some think is like being born again. But the scripture uses it as a phrase, either born again or born from above or born anew. And I wanted to look at that because I, I want the saints to realize the scripture tells you what Christianity is and how spiritual it is. Start with, uh, on the left hand side, Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 9. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The result of receiving and believing in his name is that you were given the power to be born of God. Pulling out the other clauses, portions of the phrase, this chance to be born of God, this circumstance of being born of God, is brought up in John 3, the famous passage of John 3.16. But right before that, the Lord is talking to Nicodemus. John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's taken this being born as a child of God, 
and telling you that it is born in the Spirit of God and it has that ephemeral it's an ephemeral, not a ritual thing fleshly births are fleshly births you can, you can visit the hospital where I was born in Oakland I guess it's still standing um, Oakland Naval Hospital and you could visit probably the hospital. Our kids were all born at Gretman, so we could go visit the, the hospital. We know who their doctor was and who the attending nurses were. And but being born of the spirit has an ephemeral quality to it, like you would expect a spiritual birth. But unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. On one hand, you find out that if you receive him who believe in his name, you have the opportunity, the power to become children of God. And if you don't become them, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, with that preface that the spiritual rebirth, the spiritual rebirth is essential to what we call Christianity. Would you say, oh, he is a born-again Christian? If you remember far enough back to think about Jimmy Carter, everybody was in a tizzy when their election was going on because he was talking about being born again. And the newscasters were guessing at what that meant. They had no idea. And all the evangelicals knew what born-again was. So if you're one of those born-again type Christians, you have... This is not just uh, old information, you've seen it before. This is about how we live. And with the big passage on the right hand side is about this, Romans 8. Now, coming out of Romans 7, Paul lets you know that he was under a bondage to sin that was immense and he, got, he wanted to do what was right, but he could not do it. He says in verse 24 of chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? So that's where he is at the end of chapter 7, getting saved. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's a moment where you're introduced to the thing that was operative in the John passages. You went, you had the Son of God coming to earth, being incarnate, given us a path to fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. How do we live? How do we be good? According to the Spirit. You don't walk according to the flesh, you walk according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. 
Now there's a little, we want to say a little rule for you to pick up, a little thing to put on your refrigerator as you, you get your, your toaster strudel in the morning or your yogurt and granola, whatever kind of person you are. There it says it, set your mind on the things of the spirit. Don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. Because to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's what we're after. And this morning I want to be talking to you about what this basic thing of you passing from death to life, of you having a born-again experience, is not just how you join this odd church. It's how you join the family of God, being born of God, being born from above, has to be by the Spirit, or it isn't. It doesn't exist if it hasn't been by the Spirit. We know that there's a hostility to fleshly thought processes. We got that portion read this morning by Paul. You do not love the world or the things in the world. If you love the things of the world, the love for the Father is not in you. You really do not have an option to be a more worldly, uh, consumed with the things of this world type of Christian. Because if you set your mind on the flesh, it's death. Now, all of that includes, it's not just your business. It's not business or your hobbies or all sorts of things. It could be those things. But it certainly is the law. The religion. There would be people who are far more devoted to a church who are still set on the flesh than on the spirit. And it becomes death to them even though it has a steeple. It becomes death to them, even though uh, it represents pious and holy things. Because it is the flesh. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And if you read back earlier in Romans, you find what he thinks is sin and death has to do with the law. So it includes everything. We see it in the parable of... uh, parable of the sower, I keep mentioning this because it's just just one of the great images with different kinds of soil or different kinds of people and the word of God lands on it and, and you see the thorny ground and the rocky ground receiving the word of God with joy springing up and then persecution in one case and delight in riches and the cares of this world in another and both of them get choked off both of them do not have the life the life and peace that is offered to you if you set your mind on the spirit. They were setting their minds on the flesh. You don't want to be a kind of Christian who has a habit of wondering why things aren't working, turning out for you, why your Christian life isn't working, and your practice is to set your mind on fleshly approaches all the time. Because that creates a hostility to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, kind of our thematic thing, if you want to say, is there a theme, is how do I, what are some things I could consider in setting my mind on the flesh? It seems like it's necessary. It seems like Jesus says, unless I have this rebirth in the Holy Spirit, unless I have this gift at my disposal, I'm not going to see the kingdom of God. You're certainly not going to see the benefits of it. 
So if life and peace is there to be had if I set my mind on it, what are paths that we can take? So there's a, Romans 8 has got a lot of stuff in it. And we're just going to ignore some of it. Okay? Because other pastors or other teachers are going back to it again. I was in Romans 8 probably a couple years ago. And I was preaching an entirely different thing. Because there's so, it's so much power in it. But when you think about you being instructed to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the question that had come up last night is how? How do we do some of these things? One of the first things, verse, verse 9, to consider. This, this is setting your mind on the things as they are. It would do no good for an unbeliever to set his mind on the Spirit. He doesn't have it. It wouldn't change his circumstance. What does change is verse 9. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, this is in red because I wanted you to remember it, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Just like John had said, the kingdom of God, you must to inherit it, to have life in Christ, you have got to have the Spirit of Christ. But, not, it's not just a line drawn between two worlds, spiritually Christians and everyone else. But in setting your mind on it, one of the first things you have to realize, it has to be a historic actuality. Because it, Paul uh, even says that. You are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. If in fact, okay. Is it a fact? <coughs> We were talking to somebody in this conversation who uh, had believed in Christianity at a very young age and then, as he described it, got baptized in the Holy Spirit later in life. Bible made no sense to him before that. Didn't realize what was going on. Got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Charismatic church situation. And all of a sudden, Christianity made sense. The Bible made sense and his life was changed. He didn't lack motivation. And he had grown up believing in Jesus and, you know, Christian home. As so we suggested to him, that's when he got saved. When his life actually changed. You need to stop and think, have I, if you're just going from one train wreck, one difficult situation to another, you have to ask yourself, Am I in the flesh or am I in the spirit? Because one of the, it's, it's fruitless again to think on the things of the spirit if you're not in the spirit. We have to realize how important that factoid is. I have the little verse here from Galatians 3.1 on the left hand side. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes... Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And that's the preaching of the gospel. Jesus Christ dying for sins, dead, buried, raised in three days, and ascended to be with the Father. But then he transfers that preaching of the gospel to the condition of salvation, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, you're now ending with the flesh. Your decision, I read that to you because your realization that you are in the Spirit, I am a Christian, I have passed from death to life, has as an added onus, I have a continuing life in Christ and a debt to it. I have, so that when I get up in the morning, I don't just say, yeah, I became a Christian 15 years ago. I also have to say, and I am still a Christian. Because the power of God in your life is by hearing your Christian life with faith. Like you heard the gospel with faith, and it brought the Holy Spirit into your life. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. You're a child of God by the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to live by that same faith, so the same spirit, the same born-againness that you're setting your mind on is rewarding you in the same way. That you received the Spirit by, not by works of the law, but by hearing. How do I continue that in my life? Verse 10 of Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, though your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit which dwells in you. Have this root. Although we're all by a bad cold, there's death, there's loss, there's disease. We're facing a lot of calamity because of the futility of sin, but our spirits are alive. The arena that we're supposed to think about is the arena of life in us. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how high your temperature is, regardless whether or not the disease is terminal, because we've set our mind on the things of life and peace, we are carrying that life and peace in our mortal bodies. And our bodies are mortal and dying because they're mortal. A little later in the chapter about the whole creation and we groaning for the redemption of the bodies because we're living, living under that, that calamity. But we've been thinking and setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's been set on things that produce life and peace. He will give life to your mortal bodies. You will be, and I'm not talking health and wealth sort of stuff, but believe me, your your walk through the physical life will be less of a problem, less of a fear, less of an anxiety, less of, of not something you just accept. This is, I'm 63 now and I'm, I don't have much longer. And the acceptance you have of death, the acceptance that you have of, of your illnesses, and the joy that you have and the life that you have because you've set your mind on something that is life and peace. If you set your mind on things of your physical nature and the rewards of this life that do exist, when you're sick and when you're poor, you know you're sick and poor and how can you be happy? You'll be anxious, you'll be fearful, you'll be a lot of things. 
So it announces to us in verse 12, So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We have a debt to the second half. We have a debt to the Spirit. Something has happened. The salvation that happened to you was by grace, in spite of you, gave you great things, and that gift cost, well, the life of Christ, but it also, it also should be seen. If you say, I need to be thinking about all the things of the Spirit, right? If I set my mind on the things of the Spirit, on the Spirit, it's life and peace. If we're going to live according to the Spirit, which we're told to do, I have to set my mind on the Spirit. To set my mind on the Spirit equals life and peace. I want that. You don't just want it. It isn't just something, first you recognize that it must be true. It must be true in you, or don't bother. It's not something you can fake yourself out. Two, you have to recognize you have a debt to pay. Now it's not something you can ever say, you know, enough, enough of thinking of this will pay God back for the death of his son. No, it's not that kind of, you know, I, I won't get out till I, I pay the last penny. But you know that uh, those stories that you, you hear about or see in movies, that, and um, whether it's pulling a thorn out of the lion's paw or saving the Indian's life and the Indian devotes himself to you for the rest of your life. Because you saved his life. Is that what happened in Robinson Crusoe with Friday? I can't remember if he saved Friday from the headhunters or something, something like that. You are committed to someone who gave their life for you. You also have, verse 14, and all and for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Is that when you read through passages, it's, it's good to pick up on all the words in a sentence. Because sometimes the, the direction of the sentence, the point of the sentence, is very, very, very beneficial. But how it's worded, my father always used to tell us, know the difference between an imperative statement and an indicative statement. One thing tells you what to do, and the other says tells you what you are. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, is not a command for you to get in the spirit. It's an indicative thing. You are in this case. You are debtors. It describes the situation in verse 14. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. It's not only when you discover that you are in, the discovery that you must be led by it. There's a necessity to this leading. A necessity to the direction it's taking you. You can't say, yeah, I discovered I am one of the sons of God. I'm, I'm actually really filled with the Holy Spirit, but I, I'm not being led by him. Because it lets you know, show me your faith apart from your works, and by, I by my works will show you my faith. These things keep being described as things you believe about the state of things. And if this is not true, you don't get to claim to be a son of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So it comes back to that being a child of God in that section. It's, it's letting you know how do you tell how do you live? How do you think? How do you get up in the morning and choose to do what? If you don't choose anything, you will default to what your habit of thought is. If you, if you don't have a chosen inertial force in life, you will have passionate and habitual and maybe authority-driven inertial forces. Someone who tells you what to do, say you're still at home, you get up in the morning, you wonder what to do, and you're sitting there having your cereal at the kitchen table until mom tells you what to do. That's authority. Some people have regimentation. I know that on Saturday and Sunday, I get out of bed at 6.30. I don't even question it. I don't even complain. I just roll out of bed at 6.30 because I have done it for decades. Habit. I didn't make any choices. My body won't let me lie there. And if I don't do it by authority or by, by, by habit, I'll do it by passion. In other words, Father, I love her. You know, whatever the 14-year-old says about true love. I must marry her because I, I love her. And fathers, as my father did, laughed at me. He laughed at me when I told him Charlene Johnson was the will of God for me. And I appreciate his laughter now because I married the right woman, and Charlene is now a Buddhist in Portland. So, uh, dodged a bullet there, thank you. Um, you're led by passions, you're led by habits, you're led by someone else's authority, unless you're making a decision. Making a decision doesn't make you right, but at least making a decision has the chance that you are going to decide to set your mind where God has said the Christians set their minds. Understanding your debt, understanding your state, and understanding your state is a continuing state. That it involves being led by. When Paul says in Galatians that you receive the Spirit not by works of the law, but hearing with faith, it is telling how you are led by the Spirit as well. By faith to become children of God, because that's the nature of our relationship with God. I consider the sufferings of this present time I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Setting your mind in the things of the Spirit. One of the problems one of the problems is there's a good marketing firm running the earthly desires. Okay? All you do is sit in front of your TV for any length of time or your phone. Even your phone. You try to play a video and it gives you an ad that, and you always try to skip the ad, but you can't skip the ad. The world's got PR going all the time. You have desires in yourself they're trying to appeal to. Sometimes they're not sin, sometimes they're, they're, they're temptations, but they're not evil. Other times they're evil. 
But that's just, that's in a positive, glorified, beneficial, free society with a lot of money. It isn't that way for all believers all the time, everywhere. Sometimes it's suffering, famine, disease. Sometimes it's persecution. Paul's looking at a more persecuting world. Whatever the sufferings of this world, we sometimes, many times, go to the world to solve the sufferings of this world. But Paul says, you know, I consider, having set his mind on the Spirit, that it's not worth comparing. It's an incomparable something in Christ. And getting to that conclusion is important. He, he gives you a little bit more information. The glory that is to be revealed to us, that hope, is an incomparable good compared to the state of the world. As loud as our needs are, as big as Madison Avenue has made your need for what are the uh, robot vacuum cleaners called? Roomba. I object to them. They're round. Corners are square. I'm just saying. That means the corners don't get vacuumed. You need one. You think you need one. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. The whole design of God and the futility that surrounds you, that broken leg you have, that bad head cold you have, that death you face someday, the whole creation has been laboring, carrying that load of dying and decaying. Because God said, I'm going to write hope to them in this check of loss. Suffering, loss, everything going sideways. Life's awful, then you die. Merry Christmas. But that's got written in it, our God, if I've set my mind on the things of the Spirit, because His promise is life eternal. His promise is the hope. His promise is you being given all the things necessary for life and godliness. You are able to face everything with the joy of a believer. And the creation shares this futility with us. This is not talking about you. This is talking about the bushes. This is talking about the bunnies who also die and also get sick and get carried off by hawks. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in travail together until now and not only the creation, but we ourselves. He adds us to it. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the Christian is told to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You have to know you're in the Spirit. Know that's a continuing thing. You have a debt to pay. Um, it's a leading device. It's not just you trying to guess your way. The Holy Spirit leads you when you set your mind on it. And it includes 
this futility hope relationship that I, I, I can set my mind on the things that are futile and the things that are going to be eternal because God made the futility with hope and that hope as it says for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience so it describes how you're going to go about setting your mind on the things of the spirit there's an interface between the fallen world the spirit of God your born again status what you have coming and how you, how you deal with it it's not necessarily healthy to try to figure out some eschatological view your end times view I, I don't recommend it it's in the, the things that are in the scriptures you think about but figuring it all out what's the big temptation so I'll have a picture of what I can hope for but hope that is seen is not hope let it be hope let it be unseen let it be keeping it not here and as I stand in the sufferings of this life, because as I go on in the next few years, I'm just going to get sicker. I'm just going to get older. And I'm not going to be dead. And we'll have a nice funeral. It won't be open casket. I'll probably be cremated. So we'll scatter my ashes. Where shall we scatter them? A lot of people think in my library with all the other ashes. <laughs> but, uh, okay, that's fine. I want you to be go back over Romans 8 in your time and say I'm supposed to be setting my mind on this what are some handles what are some things that, that start because all of these things have huge huge topics underneath them it's not just the answer is I set my mind on the things of the spirit and now I know I have a debt to pay what's the nature of the debt I know that I am living by being led by the Spirit to be a son of God. What is that like? There's a lot of things for you to be thinking of. And we're sharing this song of futility. It's kind of got that Scots Fay quality or even the Norse Ragnarok sort of. You ever think about Norse religion? Not to become, you know, an Odin worshiper or anything. But uh, it's a real dark and dim and they lose the gods lose Ragnarok comes around and everything goes up in smoke gods included you've got a kind of dark state of futility that you're living in you know this world because of sin was subjected to futility but God did it in hope he even did bad things to us in a good way he even made leaves in the fall look good when they died. For in this hope we were saved. Have you gotten to the place where the hope of glory is incomparable? You couldn't compare it to anything else. Can you wait for it with patience? It is so great. It occupies you, not because you've seen it, but because it is that promise. Because that becomes part of that faith that we trusted God for. You notice how hope is part of the definition of faith in Hebrews? The, uh, the conviction of things not seen? The assurance of things not seen? Which one is it? 
Faith is the conviction. Assurance, Assurance of things not seen. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When you think, see things being told to you about the Spirit, the first instruction back in verse 6, to set your mind on the Spirit, gets you that life and peace. You say, okay, these are triggers. They should be directing me. I should be thinking this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because you in the bushes are under futility, in hope, groaning for the redemption of the body, the resurrection. And the Spirit helps. Because we do not know how to pray as we ought. We don't have a Bible-written prayer to address ourselves. St. Paul didn't know how to pray about the futility. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. You realize the Spirit isn't just a leader and isn't just the, the purveyor of the grace of God in your life and you know direction and, and the like. He aids and comforts in areas that you can't know. Areas you can't, where the apostle couldn't fill in the blank. The apostle didn't know how to pray regarding the resurrection and the futility. And he promised the saints the spirit would pray for you. He understands the mind of God. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Since the Spirit is God, his intercession for you, being in you, reflects both your need and God's will. Verse 28, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. There's a verse taken massively out of context. Romans 8:28. Think of it in these terms. Work it into your meditation on the Spirit of God in your life. God is working together for good. Are you one of those people who have the Spirit? Are you one of those that could hear the Spirit leading you? Do you understand the debt? Do you understand the hope? How much time have you spent on the hope of glory? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What just happened to us in two verses? Just a warning. Romans 8.28 is such a quoted passage when Johnny breaks his leg that people have lost what he's talking about in Romans 8. I'm not saying don't apply it to Johnny breaking his leg, but it's more massively important than that. And then the next verse, verse 29, uses the word predestined and foreknew in the same verse. And you know there's, there's a big pit dug in front of you with bungee sticks coming out of it that you will tumble into. And the discussion stops being about being led by the Spirit, and meditating on the things of God in the Spirit, setting my mind on the Spirit, stops me about, starts being about predestination, or about being foreknown, or what words, I mean, the real key element here in verse 29, 
Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and in his world, those things hadn't turned into theological fights yet, to be conformed to the image of his son. in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The reason you are born from above, the reason your faith is answered by God and his power, is so that you can be a brother to Jesus Christ. You can share sonship. And the whole thing in this meditating, it's, it's this great... Uh, I thought of the passage last night out of Second uh, Corinthians 3... When we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So your spiritual meditations, you're setting your mind on the things of Spirit. The life and peace is not just so that you will feel more at ease in your life. It's a good, you get it. You get tranquil, it's good, you get it. The thing is... The promise is, the good is, that you will be conformed to the image of his son. He doesn't want families that don't look like each other. He wants families that you can tell. Oh, you must be one of Jesus' brothers. Or sister. You can tell. The Christians follow Christ because they look like Christ because you're born again you're born of God you're one of God's children and the whole thing of God's children is wrapped up in what his spirit has given you and, it will, and, and, and that you in the end will be conformed to what Jesus Christ looks like because Christ wants you to look like him in order that he might be firstborn among many brethren and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified and so don't think about the foreknowledge and how you would argue about the predestination think about Jesus Christ and being conformed to his image because that's the point of God God is about that in you but you have to be facing it. The Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3, is that. And we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. You have to be facing it. Not facing the world. Not being involved with all sorts of things that are uh, just, you think are the things that will answer your life. Will take away all your pain. If I have enough money, if I have a good enough vacation, if she's cute enough, whatever it is, be looking at Christ. Our God intercedes for us in the Spirit. He has created this target goal, which is Jesus Christ and His likeness. And He hears our prayers. He hears the prayers of the Holy Spirit and He knows He's, he's open to having prayers from us that are in accordance with his will to do these things. And he's working out whatever those words mean to you. Predestined, called, justified. God is doing those things. Look at that. Those he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. So God is standing in your stead, not just to help your prayers out, but answering your prayers. The target goal is to be changed into the Son of God. That's why you're born again. It's not so that you can be happier, but that God can have sons, brothers for Jesus Christ, who look like him. And 
as you study your own life, as you first say, what's the condition? What's the lay of the land? What kind of believer am I? Now, I trust that, you know, all souls, of course, we're, we're the best Christians. I think, I, somewhere I read that newspaper article. Well, I don't actually know. We don't actually know where we are with the Lord. All of us, you, you are responsible. You do you. Uh, the church is not going to do you. I have to do me. I have to judge myself truly. You judge yourself truly. Look at yourself and say, am I becoming like the Lord Jesus every morning I get up? And if I'm not becoming like the Lord Jesus every morning I get up, what am I doing? And why am I not set on the Spirit? Because life and peace is there for those who are set on the Spirit. Childhood of God. Being born again is there. It might even be you need to get saved. You might need Jesus Christ ultimately. Go back over it again when you have a chance. Realize that it says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not have Christ. And there's a process about this. There are things that we do with it. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You are merciful to us in our ignorance. You are merciful to us in our wickedness. We'd ask that you would continue to be patient. Thank you for the word this morning. In your son's name, amen.